Welcome to Making Metric Easy, presented by Outlaw Technology. I'm Hans Dietrich. And I'm Brie Oaxaca. And each week, we speak with the companies in the trenches of the sea-to-sail process. Today, we welcome Eric Fortin, General Manager of Wise Guys Farms in Clare, Michigan. Hey, Eric. Hey, how you doing, Hans? Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get started in the industry? Sure. Actually started off as a outlaw myself in my younger years, starting selling some black market product, uh, as I feel like a lot of people in the industry did. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly, yes, absolutely. No proof of any of that. There was, you know, going from grams and eighters up to, you know, more weight, as I feel every street hustler did, matured into my later years of high school, went and decided maybe, you know, maybe college is for me. Looked at the where the medical marijuana industry was at the time in 2008. And it started to become a thing here in Michigan where it seemed like maybe this is uh, something I can do legally. So I went to Northwood Business School and studied business, entrepreneurship, business management, wanted to kind of open up like an Amsterdam type thing here in the state. And throughout my years there, I went into some industrial hemp. Virtual cannabis wasn't really as as big as it was now there was uh no adult use market it was all just medical and after uh leaving northwood i met my wife she well we planted some roots here up in mid-michigan and cannabis in mid-michigan was nowhere near what it was in metro detroit where i came from so it was hard to find anybody who was even willing to listen to a business plan that i'd created to to start a farm uh, like one that i'm at right now so I picked up a software sales job, and after a few years of doing that, a buddy of mine called me. I asked if I wanted to come and build some greenhouses locally for uh, what was going to be a cannabis farm. And I was there within an hour helping put together greenhouses that I've never done before. And that was the start of me being a part of a cannabis company. Wow. You know, I know several people who paid their way through college by allegedly supplying people with some items let's put it that way yeah so, certainly and they they went on to have successful careers not not in this industry but i i also know quite a few people in this industry who have done the same thing right and it's nice to see that people are able to do it legally now yeah absolutely that was a, a big change for me it's funny uh, i remember conversations with my parents about the you know, stigma around cannabis back then. And they said, you know, this is something you should not be doing. You should, you know, get your head together. And, you know, now we sit down at, you know, family reunions and I just kind of laugh with them about where I'm at and how, you know, I always throw to my mom every once in a while, like, remember that time you tried me to get away from the weed thing and now it's my career and she doesn't find it as funny as I do, but, uh, you know, it's a good time. <laughs> it's been fun to see how perception of cannabis as a whole has, you know, changed over the recent years. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, Hans, you probably speak to this too. You tell folks what you do. And, you know, I always sort of go to people and say, oh, I work for a software company in the cannabis space. And, you know, it's kind of surprising because you meet people who you would expect to have one type of reaction. And next thing you know, it's like a, you know, family friend of mine who I would never peg as a cannabis consumer is all of a sudden telling me about her favorite dispensary down the street in DC. And, <laughs> It's pretty. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've uh, been in conversations with people who I've known for you know decades now, and when they hear that I'm in cannabis, they just completely open up about it. And you know, these are people who I, growing up, had no idea that you know they they even partook. 
And then they hear, oh, you, you work at a wheat farm. Well, you know, I know this strain and I grew this and, and you know, your, your cousin does this. And, and it's just, it's crazy to me that it was such a, a secret back then growing up and, you know, not just within my family, but, you know, a lot of people that I knew. And now it's, it's, you know, you can back where I'm from, you can go to almost, you know, you can, you can't go five miles without finding weed on the, you know, the, the legal markets. And it's, 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 it's something different. Uh, when I go back home to uh, Sterling Heights and I see billboards, uh, you know, on places where I allegedly used to hang out in that parking lot and, you know, <laughs> a black market product. And now there's a dispensary there. And it's like, wow, that is, that's not what I expected back then. Uh, you know, that it would, that it'd be like this. I'd always hoped that it would, but not, I didn't think it'd be like that in my hometown. And some of the biggest brands in the state are there now. And it's, it's, it's just wild. So Eric, tell us a bit about Wise Guys Farms. How long have you been there and, and what's their origin story? Wise Guys started uh, 2020, April of 2020. And the guys, the three guys that started it, I mean, it's a little bit of a play on words. You know, the three wise men, there was three founders and we're also in Wise Township. So that's why uh, the, the name Wise Guys became a thing. They had originally started that first company that I was referencing. There was five of them and they started a company. Uh, they all knew each other growing up, got together you know, always had dreams of, you know, having a wheat farm and they, they broke through in, in Beaverton, Michigan, way up here in the middle of nowhere. And as the company grew, as most companies I imagine do, a corporate structure kind of came into play. And the three that split off to start Wise Guys didn't really agree with that. And, you know, the vibe just wasn't there. Everything kind of got tightened down and it wasn't as for lack of a better term, fun of a place to be. Uh, so they they left and started Wise Guys. Uh, I was with that company, like I mentioned from the beginning. I, I literally helped break ground with them there. And here at Wise Guys, I was technically employee number one, I think, from the three of them. So they had asked me uh, before I had left the other farm. I I worked my way up from you know just a greenhouse builder to the IPM specialist to the assistant general manager, and then when we started here. I was the operations manager because uh, one of the founders was kind of overseeing the general manager roles. They came together here in Wise Township and started uh, this farm, you know, mentioned it to a lot of the other uh, day one employees of the old farm, and they all wanted to jump ship and join us over here because they knew how good of a time we had building the other place. So we just started building and our, our first year here was uh, about four acres of outdoor. We had plans for a uh, large, couldn't even tell you the square footage, uh, but a, a large indoor building that would house all of our, our post-harvest, uh, a couple indoor rooms, some mom rooms, and our office uh, personnel. And we we started off just with a few connexes outside and a small garage, two hoop house greenhouses, and three empty acres. We bought a ton of plastic pallets, a ton of 100-gallon pots, and a ton of dirt, and just started moving things throughout the field and brought in our first batch of plants, um, got them into the season, you know, as, as quickly as we could, started doing uh, clones and moms in the nexus that we had. We just kind of retrofitted those to be indoor grow rooms. And from there, you know, everything kind of came in stages. Uh, midway through the outdoor season of season one, we started the construction on this building and about I want to say April of 2021, we started construction on our six greenhouses. We, or I'm sorry, our, our four greenhouses, we kind of split them, but onto our greenhouses. And 
the outdoor season came to a close, everybody moved inside and we just started uh, cranking away at our indoor rooms. The greenhouses, once we got those finally done, we just started moving plants into that. And every year we have a plan for expansion. Uh, after the end of this season, we plan on, you know, adding into some more of our outdoor. We're currently on 40 acres and we have maybe five of them fenced in right now. So we've got a lot of, lot of room to grow. So you're doing indoor and outdoor greenhouse, you name it. You're doing everything. It sounds like, right? Yep. Trying to do a little bit of everything. Um, the, How many plants would you say you have approximately, you know, when you've got everything going? When everything's going, it's probably just shy of 10,000. I know that last year and the way that the, the Michigan rules have changed recently where you can stack licenses, you can, uh, you can convert your medical plants over to your all use plants as long as they're from the same license. So that, that has changed it a little bit because we started off with a lot more adult use licenses than medical licenses. The way that they just kind of restructured the rules uh, a few months ago, we had to switch every single plant tag we had from adult use to medical, except for our moms. And then when we harvest them, they switch back as packages over from medical to adult use. And, you know, I just talked with the uh, CRA inspector on Tuesday this week, and he, uh, he came by for his regular inspection and we were talking about that and he's like, you know, that probably made it a lot easier for you guys. And I kind of laughed because the, the, the paperwork aspect of it was certainly not easier. There was a lot of uh, metric back and forth that we had to do, not only to transfer all of our licenses, but to, to transfer a, a package from the time that it goes, you know, you harvest a medical plant, package it as medical and then transfer it to adult use. There's just a lot more buttons to click, uh, you know, in metric to, to do that. And, uh, you know, God forbid you have a clerical, clerical error and, uh, you know, mess something up, but we did it pretty well. Things went pretty smooth, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, interesting when, when they made that change, everybody jumped on board with it. And some people considered it like a gray area, but after talking with the inspector, it's, it's almost what they intended. Uh, it made it a lot cheaper for grows to, to, to scale. Um, you know, the, the, the fee for a license went from, uh, I think it was upwards of, you know, 25,000 plus a year down to, uh, and, and I don't know off the top of my head, but it's, it's significantly cheaper. I want to say like $4,500 or something like that. That's amazing. That's yeah. Amazing. So it, uh, it, it definitely changed the way that companies are, are looking at their license count, but it, it worked out for us. It worked out really well. I think you and I started talking right when you were getting going, maybe oh, yeah, right at the beginning. in the ground yep. and I forget, how did you come across us in the first place? You know, I was, I was thinking about that earlier today. I know we used Canex at the last farm and we, we subscribed to Canex when we started this farm and it, it wasn't anything I had hands-on experience with. Uh, being the IPM specialist, uh, I never really did anything in metric. You know, I helped with the cut downs, but that was the physical aspect of actually cutting plants down. When it came to metric, we had another guy there who handled all of that. And he kind of kept it like a close secret uh, because it was very important information. You know, we felt as we did here at the beginning that if you mess one thing up in metric, you're on grounds to be cut down entirely, you know, not, not really knowing how the system worked. So when I started using Canex, there was definitely some things that I didn't really like about it. You know, what was cool is it's an app on your phone and you can take pictures of stuff. But now I got to pull my phone out when I'm, you know, I got gloves on and my hands are covered in trichomes. So I wasn't really in love with, with their system to begin with. Oh, we're, let, me, let me tell you, we're, we're working closely with, with Canix right now because Canix does a lot of really great things on their mm -hmm. software side. 
but they they kind of realize hey we do a lot of great stuff on the rfid and the, the inventory and the tracking side so now we're they're a good partner of ours and i think i remember those conversations because the the team that you worked with before uh, yeah they were using canix they use our yeah. they use outlaw as well Yep. Yeah. They, they switch over to you guys. And you know, maybe that's what it was. Um, cause now that you say that, that does ring a bell. It definitely had something to do with the re- the relationship that we had, uh, from the other farm as well. But yeah, I just remember, you know, either I called you or you called me or somehow we got to talk at the website and some quick little demo. I was like, well, that seems simple. Like that, that's what I like is simplicity. So, you know, we, uh, we agreed to do a trial term and we got the OG harvest system and the Desperado and, I remember our first year, uh, you know, doing that initial cut down and Bree, you were deeply involved with this as well, because I remember calling you at least weekly, uh, you know, with questions on how does this work? We made this mistake. How do we fix this? There was a lot of, of, of learning for us, but I just remember entirely the entire system going very smooth. You know, we had 4,000 plants in the first year and the, the undertaking that that was for people who have never worked in metric prior to this was, it it was scary. And knowing that all I had to do was scan this tag over this, this RFID reader and make sure that the plant is hanging on this scale and we're done. That was like that it was game changing for us, for me personally, being the person who was responsible for it, it, it made life so much easier. And then even when I had teammates, uh, helping me with it, you know, if I had to go out into the field. And they had to take over the outlaw and maybe maybe they weighed two plants at once or something like that it was very simple for us to just make those changes and then being able to call brie whenever and say hey we messed this up how do we we fix this and getting it fixed within minutes that was it it just made the entire first season that much easier for us i'm so glad to hear that appreciate that eric i appreciate you (laughs) brie So, but yeah, it sounds like, yeah, your, your team there at Wise Guys, uh, you know, never had to know a life without, you know, harvesting with outlaw tools. What was it like at the previous place without those tools? With, with me having not really much experience doing that part of it, what I remember is we, you know, there was probably 10 of us and we'd show up at the farm at three o'clock in the morning to get a head start. And we just start blaring music, you know, very unfortunate for our neighbors, but we start blaring music because that's the type of people we were. We just had a good time hacking plants down. And when we hacked enough plants down, we'd carry them over to this, essentially a trailer. And inside of that trailer, uh, our compliance manager was in there with his phone out, you know, using Canex and the plant would be on a scale and he would take a picture of it. And I think I remember him having to type the weight in from the scale. I don't think there was the integration between his phone and the scale at the time, but he could at least scan the plant and it would give the tag number. Um, and then he just you know, typed in that weight. And then from there, they just hung whole plants in the, in the, on the trellis that we were drying on. But I do remember from, you know, sharing a, a side-by-side office with him that he would spend a lot of time in, in, uh, in his office on metric after the harvest, just making sure things were right. And, you know, having to review everything and make sure we got all the plants and that all the weights seemed accurate. Uh, he, I do remember him spending a lot of time in metric, uh, even after using the, uh, the Canic system and being in, you know, in real time, putting these numbers in, uh, you do that so now, I, you do that now after the harvest, right? Yes, I do that now. I review everything. Um, and I'm a data junkie. I love to see the numbers. I love the, to see the stats, not only, you know, the time that it takes us from start to finish, but our yield results, we, we run a lot of different strains, uh, and we, we always experiment with new strains and new methods. 
So I'm always comparing, you know, if we ran uh, cherry cookie breath in greenhouse four versus cherry cookie breath in greenhouse three, but we had a slightly different uh, deep fan technique. I always want to compare those numbers back and forth. So I've got multiple spreadsheets of similar, but different data on a lot of different things. And a lot of that, I just pull right out of outlaw uh, or, or metric directly to, you know, get some of these numbers, but yeah, I'm the one who overlooks everything. And honestly, there's really not much to overlook when, when we finish the harvest and, you know, my post-harvest team submits it in, or from the OG harvest system into the uh, outlaw.net, all I have to do is really click a couple boxes and submit it because everything looks good. Our plant counts right and our weights look right. It's just very, very simple to do. Yeah, that was one of the big pain points that was told to us when we were doing our beta and developing the systems was that after the harvest, the time the compliance manager would spend entering the data into metric or finding the errors as to why metric wouldn't accept them, it took hours. So we oh, yeah. worked hard on that and hopefully it should only take you a couple minutes after each harvest as we identify what the errors are and you can fix them right away if there are any. Yeah, absolutely. The, the fact that I can submit a harvest from outlaw or from the OG harvest system to the, uh, the .NET and then see that everything got submitted, but if there was errors, then those ones didn't get submitted quite yet. And then I can just go in and correct those errors. That makes it very simple. I, uh, actually just this morning, we were destroying some plants and two of the tags that we destroyed wouldn't show up. And it was a, it was a strange, uh, error code that I got cause I haven't really seen it before. So I, I looked it up and, you know, physically looked at the plant tags and then went into metric and saw those plant tags were never even associated to any plants in metric. So they were still available in metric, but not actually uh, designated to a plant. And I wouldn't have known that like that, those tags would have just been destroyed and then reused if, uh, or destroyed in the system, but then reused in, you know, in real life, uh, had I not seen that those two errors came up and, you know, once I corrected those, the, everything else submitted without a problem and. It's, it's nice because it doesn't hold up your entire harvest. It, it, it may only hold up a plant or two, but the rest of the harvest goes through without any issue. And then that gives you some time to kind of like look into those two plants that didn't stand properly. Or, you know, if there's a, a, an issue, one of the big things that I like about the OG harvest is if it, and this happens, unfortunately, more than I think it should, but it, it's, you know, a reality of human error. When we go to plant up a greenhouse and all of these tags get tagged as one strain, and then we go to harvest them and, and we realize halfway through the cycle, oh, these clone trays got mixed up. We need to change this strain to this other strain. And then we go and scan a, a tag and it says, this isn't the strain that you said it was going to be. That's really nice right there because we we just take that plant, we set it aside. I can go into metric and you know redesignate that plant as whatever strain it should have been, and then just keep on moving with the harvest. It doesn't stop the entire system, and it doesn't pull data out of metric that you know we didn't intend to be taken out. It just tells us right up front, like, hey, you're trying to harvest, you know, cherry cookie breath, then this is a Cadillac rainbow because we have had instances with our plants growing so close together that. Maybe somebody cut down the wrong plant or they just didn't know what they were doing and, you know, brought in the wrong, the wrong rack of plants first. And the, those, those quick errors on the screen that tell you this isn't what you're trying to do. It's foolproof, honestly. Well, we always say we try to make everything as stoner proof as possible. <laughs> it's the industry we're in and we all enjoy it. Speaking of strains, you've mentioned garlic cookie breath a couple times. What, what is your premium strain? What's your, what's your favorite strain? that wise guys produces. Um, so my personal favorite, uh, it's an up and coming strain that we have. Uh, it's, it's 
that we've only ran it twice in our facility. It's blueberry pie. Uh, and one of the main reasons that I like it is the, the yields we get off of it. I'm like I said, I'm a numbers guy. I like looking at the stats and the data. The, this strain is heavy and it's, uh, that that's what I look for. Uh, everything that we grow so far has tested, you know, well above, uh, what I think would be an industry average. You know, we're always, we're always around like 24 to, uh, recently we've been closer to 28 and 29% THC. Uh, I also look at terpenes. So I want to see what, uh, what are we getting? Is it, is it 1%, which is not fantastic? Is it 3%, which I would consider average? If it's anything more than that, then I'm, I get excited about it. Uh, having talked to some of the processors in the industry, those are numbers that they really like to see. Blueberry pie is one of my favorites. Uh, I think it's going to do really well for us. Cherry cookie breath is one that it's you, you can find it in almost any greenhouse, uh, along with cherry lime runs, just because it's also a very heavy yielder. It's got a great flavor profile, as you could imagine, the, the cherry strains that that taste definitely comes out. We have a, another somewhat new one, Ragu, tested very high, 29.1% with a 4.7% terpene, which, you know, it's, yeah, those those are numbers that get me excited. And it's not your standard, I, I think when a lot of people think of, you know, like good smoking weed, they think of, you know, your 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 lemon terpenes and, you know, those fruity ones. Uh, this one, as the name would maybe guess, if you, if you buy that kind of uh, pasta sauce, but it's very woody and the like cloves it's, it's that type of terpene profile so it's it's got a very distinct smell uh definitely a different type of flavor but it is it's right up there when you look at thc percents combined with terpenes and you know that the terpenes kind of just amplify the the high that you'll get from it regardless of what the thc level is uh, it, it's definitely one that's up there and worth you know knowing so speaking of knowing your products eric where can our listeners find your products there in michigan uh, well, there's a lot of, uh, large dispensary groups that, that you can go to, to get our products. Quality Roots is one of our big, I, I don't know if we could technically consider them a partner, but I, anybody who we work with, I consider a partner, you know, you guys are a partner of ours. So Quality Roots, uh, they've got a lot of different stores. One of, one of the big ones in Battle Creek, Leaf and Bud Jars is very well known here in Michigan. They're all over the place. You can find Ray and I have been at Jars ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you asked for the Wise Guys product? Yes, did we you, did. We did, did go to the one in Mount Pleasant here. How'd you guess? That's exactly where we were. <laughs> yeah. That last trade show we were at there. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Greenways uh, in Beaverton, they are uh, personal friends of a lot of the people here at the farm. And Empire, uh, they're right around the corner. We love those guys. They, they're also a grow and a dispensary, but I've been throughout their facility. Uh, they carry our product, Bodega, Butter, Decut, Higher Love, a lot of different places. And we're always trying to fulfill the needs of, you know, th those bigger, you know, jars type stores, but also the mom and pop shops. So there's a lot up in the UP as well that we, we send some product to. I, I personally have worked at one of those smaller dispensaries, uh, back in the, what I consider the wild west days when, uh, medical was legal and dispensaries were kind of allowed to pop up. I, I always make the similarity between a lemonade stand. Technically you're not supposed to open a lemonade stand on the sidewalk. You need a, a business permit. That's how a lot of dispensaries started up uh, in the early days here in Michigan. And when I was working at one of those ones, it was very much a mom and pop shop, very small. There weren't many around. So I have a, a soft place in my heart for those those small shops. Um, and I, I I feel that those people are very passionate about what they do. You know, they're they're not in these big markets um, to make millions. They want to supply people with either medicine or this recreational 
herb that uh, they can go out and have a good time with. And having met a lot of those, uh, the people who work at those dispensaries, I, I just think that they're good people. And, you know, we like to service anybody who would be, you know, willing to carry our product. They, they are good people and they still have the caregiver mentality, which I like. And, and you are right. You mentioned earlier how many dispensaries and billboards there are in mm-hmm. Michigan and for any of our listeners who have not been there recently. And, and you see this throughout the country too. But I, I remember driving with Bree and how many billboards we saw on the way from Detroit to Mount Pleasant and how yeah. many dispensaries are right there in Mount Pleasant for crying out loud. Why to bet? It's amazing. I'm surprised people grow regular crops anymore. Soon we won't have food. What are we going to do after we smoke and have the munchies? But that's uh, absolutely right. I am curious, Eric, operating there in Michigan. What's been your perception of the Michigan market? I know you mentioned earlier that you know the regulations changed a bit as far as like your you know being more beneficial on the cultivation side. But you know what's what's been your perception of the market overall there? The market here is it's. It's kind of crazy, honestly. Um, I know that, I guess I'll start with the negatives. Uh, the The fact that we are so close to the Canadian border, you know, literally bridges that connect us over there, there has been a lot of talk about illegal product coming through the state. And the CRA, the Cannabis Regulatory Agency here in Michigan, they have done a fantastic job of, of cracking down on that. And they don't pay me to say that. I can attest to this because when we started, the market value for a distillate was enough it was high enough for us to stay in business if that's all that we did which it wasn't but if we did it was it was high enough and as soon as this big illegal these operations were going on we're just trucks and trucks of distillate were coming across the bridge from what i hear allegedly it it brought the price down a lot to the point where running the numbers we if we continued to do any amount of distillate we would not be able to stay in business and with, you know, Brian Hanna taking over with the CRA, uh, he actually just said a few weeks ago in one of the uh, Thursday town hall meetings that they are super serious about cracking down on this. And, and they have. I've seen the distillate price go up. Now, to the positives, I think that, and maybe this is my perspective, but I guess that is what you asked for, the, the competitiveness here in Michigan. I remember going to one of the first legislature conversations, I guess, down in Lansing before the medical marijuana scene really took off. And one of the big things that they talked about there was they did not want to have big corporations come in and take over the market. They said that they would rather have, instead of having five billionaires, uh, they would rather have hundreds of millionaires that, uh, or they would rather help make hundreds of millionaires. So they were very serious from day one about allowing the regular Joes and Janes to enter the market and, you know, make, make a place for themselves through competition, which I'm all about competition. I love it. I I think it definitely drives things to be greater. Some of those people have been weeded out and, you know, didn't, uh, they, they just weren't able to stick around, whether it be through, you know, business planning or just market conditions or, you know, with, with strictly outdoor grows, you just have one bad season and that could be it. So I think, uh, the market in Michigan is to me, interesting because we're not really one of those states where you think like greenhouse outdoor weed. You know, you don't really think about that. Uh, I know when it started off, a lot of people were doing indoor grows. They're just not very sustainable. Having done quite a few myself, electricity is expensive. Uh, those lights aren't cheap. You know, everything being inside isn't, it's, it's not fantastic for everybody. We, from the last farm to this one, started using greenhouses and incorporating outdoor 
when the, the CRA field inspector came on Tuesday, the first thing he said to me was, I hear you guys have some big ass plants and I want to get my picture taken in front of them. And he's not wrong. <laughs> I have never seen a plant, you know, 15 feet tall, 12 feet wide. I've never seen it in real life. I've seen pictures of it out in California, you know, on Google and whatnot, never in my real life. And we have them here, uh, you know, and it's, it's definitely a sight to see. So I think that, um, with the market going kind of towards, you know, indoor is always going to be considered a premium, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think, you know, we, we have indoor, we've got greenhouse and I think that the greenhouse is, you know, right up there with it. If, if not in some cases better. And, and something that we've learned here is that certain strains grow really well and, and they don't do well at all outside or in greenhouses and certain strains do really well in greenhouses and certain strains do really well outside. So I think that if, if more people kind of looked at that as like, it, it's much cheaper to grow outside. I can tell you that. Anybody who runs the math will tell you that it, oh, it's it much cheaper to grow outside. I think if more people kind of went that route, which I do see around us, you know, being surrounded by farm fields, I know quite a few, uh, at least a half dozen that are within a few miles of us that have very extensive outdoor crops. It's it's something where, you know, we're kind of making a name for ourselves, not just wise guys ourselves, but the, the Michigan market of having some pretty damn good weed. To agree with you there, because as you know, we're coast to coast outlaw works everywhere and michigan you really have a bunch of diversity diverse ways of growing we see outdoor indoor greenhouses you got everything there and a really good product and it seems like the state's done a really good job as you've been saying because people are still staying profitable even with all the competition you've got going on there yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, too that you know when when Colorado became legal, uh, and California has always been known for having great weed. Uh, I, I think that's something that's slightly different about Michigan, and and I don't know how familiar you guys are with sports, but you know, being a Detroit Lions fan my entire life, uh, I've always had a chip on my shoulder. Michigan is a place where you just everybody has a chip on their shoulder. They they want to prove something, you know. And being Lions fan, like you want to prove something. Fortunately, this year they're doing very well. Uh, so, so that's great for everybody, but I think just as Michiganders or Michiganians, uh, we want to prove something. And, and I feel like every grower who I've talked to always compares their, their product to, you know, those of Colorado or those of California in, in a way where it's like, we can grow better weed than that. Like we really can, we're not in the best climate zone for it. We're not in the best area, but we really can. And I think that that's a big part of what helps drive, uh, the competitive market here in Michigan. And I think that if if the federal market opened up and we were able to transfer things across state lines, I think you would kind of see that in, in other states that don't necessarily allow grows and they had access to, you know, Michigan cannabis and, and Colorado and California cannabis. I think that you would see uh, some people kind of gravitate towards the Michigan market. And I'm obviously biased, but I, I just feel that from having seen product from those other states that, uh, you know, we really do try to, to prove something here. And it shows, I think, through our product. And it shows that you care about what you do and you care about the plant, which is also super. Absolutely. So we're getting short on time here, but I wanted to make sure people knew how to find you. Where can they find wise guys? What what are your social media handles, website, things like that? So we are uh, very adamant about our Instagram uh, and we try to keep it simple uh, as you guys do. You know, uh, we are wise guys farms at wise guys farms, guys and farms is both plural. That's also our Facebook page and also our website. 
uh, www.wiseguysfarms.com. Same as the Instagram, same as the Facebook and any other social media platform. That's how you can find us. Uh, you know, obviously with social media and cannabis, a lot of people get banned or shadow banned from it for posting that material. <laughs> yeah. So, so we've got a couple of other handles, uh, also all under the name wise guys Some have underscores some have periods, but, uh, we, we try to stick to that one brand. And I know you said that you allegedly were an outlaw too, but yeah. I'd like to finish every episode by asking our questions. So Bree, why don't you do the honors? I certainly will. So Eric, we want to know who is your favorite outlaw? Well, I, I don't think you mean it this way, but uh, the both of you, quite honestly, are my favorite outlaws. Uh, you guys have helped <laughs> us tremendously. But in the uh, in the other sense of you know uh, whether it be fictional or nonfiction, uh, my favorite outlaw is Jim Rayner. He's a uh, character from the StarCraft universe. Uh, I'm also a huge nerd, if you couldn't tell from my love of data and numbers. Uh, but yes, I played him as a video game character uh, for as long as I can remember, and uh, being a person who's you know, seen as an outlaw by the the corrupt republic. And once you get to know him, he's always willing to do the right thing. I would say that he definitely is uh, right up there as my favorite outlaw. Interesting and great. Every we, Everybody has a different outlaw. I thought we'd get a lot. We've only had Jesse James once, right, Bray? We sure had him. <laughs> he's a great one too. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of great ones. That's a great one. Well, thank you, Eric, for being on our show. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask on our show about compliance, metric, automation, just email them to us at info at outlawtechnology.net. You can download past episodes of our program by going to outlawtechnology.net, cannabisradio.com, or the Cannabis Radio app for iTunes and Google Play, as well as subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and Spotify. Thanks for listening and be well.